Um, have you ever been truly afraid of something? Like, I mean, the kind of fear where you don't know if you're going to survive the next moment. Um, I've been in, I've all, I've been in a couple of situations where I was pretty concerned for my life. Um, I remember, or, or at least my life or the life of one of my children. I remember uh, on a trip back across the country, we lived in Virginia for a while, and in um, summer 2007, we, we made this long trip, piled all four of our girls, including our baby, um, who was about, she was about five, six months old at that time, and we, we, we traveled, well, it was January she was born, and it was uh, June when we were traveling over, so it was about, she's about five or six months old, yes. Um, so we were traveling over across the country, and we stopped at this, uh, at this little um, uh, kind of a, well, I, I don't know, it's near a, near a national park. It was pretty popular, uh, popular location. I think it's in, um, over there in Idaho or Montana. There's this large bridge um, that goes across this tall gorge, and, and it's, it's one of the highest, uh, highest, tallest bridges in our country. And we stopped there, and we pulled over onto the side. There's a place where people can picnic, and you can walk out on that bridge, and you can look down, and you can see way, way down. This canyon goes way below. And so we walked out there, and I had Maddie in my arms, and I remember getting out there on the, on the middle of that bridge and looking down and just being overcome by fear. <laughs> you know, the, these terrible, like, fearful thoughts of, what would happen if I tripped and my baby went flying? And then, I mean, can you imagine the fear? Now, you may have been, you may be, have been in situations like that where you feared for your life, but the fear that most of us deal with on, a, on like a regular basis is just the fear of something going wrong, the fear of, of being rejected, the fear of failure, the, the fear of the future, the fear that I'm, I'm going to make the same mistakes that I, I made before, the fear that one day my life is going to end and, and what's next, what's after that, um, the fear that I'm going to experience pain and I, I don't want to experience that pain anymore. I, I don't want to go through that. Jesus is calling us to be faithful followers and to be faithful followers, it's going to require us to look our fears in the face. We have to see them. We have to see what is, what is keeping us from following Him, the keeping us from all of the, 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 the blessings that He has come to give us. We're coming to the end. In fact, we are at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And we have been watching Jesus' life, and we've been watching what Mark wants us to learn about this man named Jesus, who's, who's no mere man. That Remember, he, he introduced him saying, this is the good news, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. And, and we've seen the scenes flashing by. We've seen what he has done. We've seen what he has said. We've seen how he has demonstrated his authority as the Son of Man. We've seen how he has fulfilled his, his call as the Christ. And we've seen him suffer and die. And now we come to that, that point of, of uh, the gospel that gets us excited. I hope it gets you excited. Because the death of Jesus on the cross was, was not the end of his story. And uh, I want us to look at that today and to take courage from his story and from what he has done and what he is still doing. So um, I want to read out loud Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 40, and then we're going to read all the way into chapter 16. Uh, we'll end at verse 8. So Mark 15... 40. Um, and if you're able and would like to stand with me, uh, I would invite you to as I read aloud. Mark 15, verse 40. 
There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled, away, rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us, and I pray that you will impress it on our hearts today. Help us to understand uh, more of you and your glory and the beauty of your son Jesus, and uh, to understand more of how we ought to respond how we ought to, to respond as faithful followers of you, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We have a, a, couple, of, a couple of scenes here, don't we? Um, this is kind of a large, a large uh, bit of the story, but like Mark does um, often, he, um, he uses an economy of words. He uses just a few words to describe some pretty um, big um, amazing uh, things. Uh, in the other Gospels, you can read about in Matthew, uh, Matthew spends a lot of time talking about what's going on uh, with the burial and, and, and who's doing what, and that there, and there are other people at the scene. And in the Gospel of John, John, who was an eyewitness to the tomb, we read there in John chapter 19 and 20, uh, there's a lot more going on to the story. But Mark, he, he says... I just want you to know about these women who observed Jesus dying. Notice the, those first two verses that we read today. These are just on the, um, the tail end of, of the, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus. And the centurion, remember the centurion's confession? Truly, this man was the Son of God. And we kind of left it hanging there. Uh, Mark reminds us that there at, the, at, at that scene, at the cross, at his death, there were women. And no, notice again that they were looking on from a distance. They were observing what was going on. They saw what happened to Jesus. And he describes uh, three of their names and, and what they had been doing following Jesus and ministering to him, which is very important um, in this scene. But then we shift to this other character, this guy we've never, we've never been introduced to yet, this man named Joseph, and he's from this, this place of Arimathea, which is probably about 20 miles or so from Jerusalem. And we see he's a member of the council and have a very short description of him. Who is this guy? What is he all about? And why is he in this story? Because right at the end of his story, we go right back to Mary and the other Mary, and they see where he was laid, and then we follow them all the way into the first day of the week, that, that first Sunday, that resurrection Sunday. What's going on? Mark is 
telling us about these characters. He's telling us about them. He, he's showing us Joseph and he's showing us the women. And did you notice who, who here was fearful? And who here took courage? Did you see the difference? Do you see a little, maybe a little contrast between these women and Joseph? Joseph Mary, or excuse me, Mark is trying to help us understand how, what we ought to understand at the end of this gospel. That this gospel is not just a, a, a relating of historical facts about Jesus, although it is. It's reliable. We can trust it. But he's not just doing that. He's saying, you, the reader, you, the listener, you, the one hearing this message, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to the Christ, the Son of God? Who is he to you? Will you be a faithful follower? Will you stand firm? Will you bear witness? Will you identify with Jesus? And so there's just a really two things I want us to take away from this as we will explore more about the resurrection and about Jesus. But I think Mark's emphasis is primarily here to, to capture the reader's attention and say, who are you going to be like? This Jesus who did all of this stuff and, and rose from the dead, how are you going to follow him? So first of all, I, I want us to see that faithful followers take courage. Just as Joseph did, this little phrase, he, he took courage and he went to Pilate. Um, you know, Joseph is, is in all of the gospel accounts. But Mark is the only one who adds that little extra phrase about him taking courage. Why would that be? And why would it take courage to say, hey, I want to bury Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. You see, everything has been leading up to this, this moment, and everything we've learned about Jesus and about um, everybody else in the story is that if you're identifying with Jesus, you're identifying with somebody who's being crucified as a threat to the Roman government. You're, you're, you're identifying with somebody who's a threat to the religious authorities. You're identifying with a blasphemer, according to the Sanhedrin. You're identifying with a traitor, an insurrectionist, if you're listening to the Romans. Joseph is described as a respected, or some translations say a prominent. He was, he was a member of the council that was, he was highly esteemed. He was a guy who, who, according to this description, people cared about. They listened to him. He had influence. You know, there might have been other members of the council who, you know, they would serve their time and then they'd go and off and they'd, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. But Joseph was a guy that people were going to remember. He was that kind of a person. And he says, and Mark tells us that he himself was looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for the kingdom of God, but right in the midst of that, he says, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So there's a lot you can learn about burial customs. You can, there's a lot you can learn about tombs and, and the, in, in ancient uh, Israel or in the first century. And you can go to places in, um, in and around Jerusalem and you can actually see tombs and you can see um, circular discs, uh, stones that that ride through these, these little um, narrow kind of pathways and down to close it. You can see all of that stuff and you can find pictures of it or you can take a trip there. I've got a friend who's going to go to Israel in about a week or two. and I'm a little bit jealous because that, you know, what an awesome, what an awesome opportunity, right? To, to go see those places and to walk where Jesus walked and, and all the rest. And so there's a lot of historical um, aspects of this that, that Mark kind of touches on, and, and all of that stuff is good, but, but the, one, the one big thing, the one impact thing about this situation is that um, historically, the family would come and take care of the body of the person who died, right? 
I mean, that's what we do. We kind of gather together and, and we, we, we bury and we celebrate or we remember and we have ceremonies about that person who we loved, who has passed on. And that was the family's responsibility. It is for, for most of us in our culture today. And it was a really, really big deal in the Jewish culture as well. But look where his family is. Do you notice where Jesus' family is? They've all fled. His disciples are gone. They're, we haven't seen hiding her hair of a disciple in, a, in over a chapter. The last time we saw, saw any members of, of Jesus' disciples, it was, it was Peter going out, throwing himself out of the, of the, of the courtyard of the, of the chief priest and, and weeping for his denial of Jesus three times. They're all gone. Where's his family? Where's his close friends? They've either denied him or betrayed him or abandoned him. Where are the women? Oh, they're, they're there. They're looking on from a distance, Mark, Mark tells us. But they're not the ones coming saying, Hey, he belongs to our family. We belong to him. And so, Joseph of Arimathea is saying, I identify with Jesus. I am going to be his family. I am going to take care of his body. I am going to step up and do for him what nobody else is willing or able to do. I belong to Jesus. And that took courage. It took courage because he's a prominent member of the council. He is one of those 70 who sits on that ruling council of all of the Jewish people. And for him to say, I identify with Jesus, means to say, I don't identify with your conclusions about him. You believe he is a blasphemer. I believe he is the Christ. You are looking for something else. But I am looking for the kingdom of God in this man. I identify with him. It was also a courageous act because he's saying, I not only identify with this Jesus, who the Sanhedrin's already spoken about, but I identify with this Roman, this slave, this, this insurrectionist, this person who has been crucified. I identify with him. See, what, what happened with the crucifixion victims was that their humiliation didn't end on the cross. Usually what they did was they left them hanging there for days at a time. Now, Mark doesn't address this, but the other gospel accounts address it. And they said that for, uh, for the sake of the Jewish people, they, they cut short their lives. They cut short the crucifixion. They came along and they broke the legs of the two thieves that were on either side of Jesus so that they would die more quickly and they could get them down off the cross before the Sabbath day. But that wasn't typical. I mean, the, the history books tell us that the Romans would leave these people up on the cross for days at a time so that everyone could see how humiliating it was to go against Rome. They would either do that or, at the very least, eventually they would take that body down and they'd just throw it into a common pit. There was no ceremony, there, was no, there were no last rites, there were no, there were no prayers offered on behalf of the dead person. They were total trash. So for Joseph to go and say, I want the body of this person, they will, what? what's going on here? That's not right. This, is, this, this person is worthless. He goes and he, he's, he's just going to be thrown out with the trash. And buried in a, in, a, in a heap with other slaves and undesirables. Pilate's surprised when he hears all of this. He's surprised that he's dead. He's, he's dead already? Don't these people like stay alive? Don't they hang up there for hours and hours at a time? And remember, uh, the centurion noticed, hey, there's something about the way this, this man gave up his life. 
So he learns that, yes, indeed he is dead. And the centurion knows what a dead body looks like because he's overseen, probably overseen hundreds of crucifixions. But somehow, Pilate makes this exception. Yes, you can have Jesus' body. You can take him down. I, I can't help but think that maybe there's something... Maybe in that act, Pilate is thinking, maybe by allowing him to go to this man and to be buried, maybe, maybe God will overlook my guilt in condemning an innocent man. I don't know. Faithful followers take courage. Joseph is here as somebody who identifies with Jesus in his death in his suffering, and says, I belong with him. I will care for him. I will, I will give him a proper burial. He, he takes him down. He wraps him in a linen shroud. He lays him in a tomb that was cut out from the rock. One of the other gospel writers says it was his own tomb. It was, it was something prepared for him as a rich man. And, and that reminds us of what, what the Old Testament says, that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And it's Pilate's, the subject of the sentence, he rolled a stone. He cared for Jesus. And what they expected was that Jesus would lie in there for a few days. His body would begin decaying. A few months would pass. And eventually, uh, the decay would be complete. And and they would scoop up his bones and put him in a little ossuary, a little little pot of some kind, and put it on a shelf, and it would be a place of, of remembrance for his family. And that's, that's what they would do. And so all of that was going on, and okay, now we can celebrate the Sabbath. But Mark's not done with the story, right? Faithful followers take courage. Faithful followers overcome fear. We have the women again. And remember that um, Mark, Mark tells us they followed Jesus and they ministered to him. They served him. They, they waited on him. Actually, that kind of word um, is connected with our word for deacon, who serves the physical needs of, of the church. And they served the physical needs of Jesus and his disciples and they're described in various places in the Gospels, but here Mark wants us to, to, to know that there were many women who followed Jesus and served him. They took care of his needs. And so what are they, what's going on in their mind? They're thinking, well, we want to continue to serve Jesus even in his death. We want, we're going to go to the tomb, and, and even though, um, even though when, when Joseph buried um, Jesus and wrapped him in a linen shroud and sure he probably anointed his body t- uh, to a certain extent um, again one of the gospel writers says that they put spices and things like that with his burial um, to help alleviate the odor um, but the women are like no we want to be part of that we want to go to the tomb and we want to bring these spices and we want to uh, anoint him again because, because we're, we're his followers. Uh, we care about him. And they do, even though they might have been hesitant to, um, to claim his body and not have, even though they didn't really have any rights as women to claim his body in that culture. So they go there. In verse six or in chapter sixteen, um, they they go. They probably bought their spices the the night before the the Sabbath would end at sundown on what we would think of as Saturday night. And so probably that evening they went out to the markets and and they got what they needed so that the very next morning, very early, they could go out. and And so they go and they go to the tomb and and they're wondering. Uh, uh, who's going to roll away the stone? Maybe they don't know if anyone's there. Maybe they don't know about guards being posted because the, the, the Sanhedrin is worried that 
somebody might try to steal Jesus' body. Maybe they, don't, maybe they aren't aware of any of that, but, but they go anyway, and, and their concern about that is, is immediately alleviated. The, the stone isn't there. It, it's been rolled away. It's been pushed back. This very large stone, um, it's not there anymore, right? But what they do see as they peek into this tomb is they see, Mark describes, a, a young man. He's sitting on the right side, and he's dressed in a white robe, and, and they are alarmed. Who is this young man? Is he, does he work in the garden? Does he, um, does he, is he a, a tomb keeper? I don't know. Who is this guy? But based on Mark's description, I mean, who was the last person who was clothed all in white in Mark's gospel? Now it's Jesus himself who was up on the mountain of transfiguration and his clothes were white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. He's, there's Jesus in his glory. And they are alarmed when they see this, this young man. It, it's not simply that they're alarmed by the open tomb. They're not so much alarmed that, that Jesus' body is not there. They're alarmed that they're seeing somebody in this glorious form. This, this is somebody who, our other gospel writers again help us out, they remind us that he's an angel. This is an angel. This is an angelic presence with them. And so, of course, the young man says, don't be alarmed. Here's the message. Here it is. Here's the good news. You've all been waiting for. This Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen. See? See the place where they laid him? That, that connects us back to verse 47 of the previous chapter, where they saw where he was laid. They weren't in the wrong tomb. They knew exactly where to go. They had been there. They saw him laid there. And now they're looking at that exact same place where, where just three days before, two nights or whatever before, there he was, laying there, his body dead and cold. He's not there. He's risen. And then the command, go and tell his disciples and Peter, don't forget to tell Peter that he's going before you to Galilee and you'll see him just as he told you. But you notice what happens next. Mark uses the same language he used to describe how in chapter 14 all of the disciples fled from Jesus in the garden. They went out and fled from the tomb. Just like the disciples had fled when Jesus was arrested. And it says that for trembling and astonishment, they, they can't quite get their minds wrapped around what is going on. This, this has seized them. And, and, it's, and Mark tells us that they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It's, it's one of the ironies of the gospel story. Remember what Jesus did all throughout um, as he was teaching and preaching and he would do, do miracles. When he did a miracle, he would tell the person, don't tell anybody. We, that's, that's kind of ironic for us, I think, because on this side of the cross, we have the great commission, we have the go and make, you'll be my disciples, you'll, or you'll, you'll be my witnesses, and all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. We have, we have all these commands to go and tell, go and tell. And here is a, another one of those, verse 7, go and tell, go and tell. But in, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he was saying, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Wait, 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 wait. And then the moment that the announcement is made and the command is given to go and tell, they don't want to say anything. They're too afraid. Faithful followers overcome their fear. But see, we cannot overcome our fear, we can't take courage until we see what Jesus has done. And here are just a few things that, that, that he's done based on what what the uh, angel, the, the young man, tells him. First of all, he was dead, but he's alive. Death 
does not have any victory over Jesus. It can't. In fact, the apostles uh, write about this in the rest of the New Testament and put it in these terms that Jesus has defeated death. It can't hold him in the grave. He has authority even over death. Didn't he demonstrate that in his life? Authority over evil spirits, authority over sickness, and even the ability to bring someone back to life. But for himself to come back to life shows us that he has defeated death. If he has defeated death, then we can overcome our fear of death. Because, Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. If, if death can't defeat Jesus, can it defeat us? One day you and I are going to die. That's just the way it is. One day we will die. But Jesus promises that we'll live with him. That death is not the end for us here on earth. That we have a future with him. That we have a place that he is preparing for us. Death is not the end for those who are following faithfully after Jesus. So what fear do we have of death and suffering? There's, there's innumerable examples of people throughout history who have suffered and died for the sake of Christ, knowing that they didn't have to fear that pain, they didn't have to fear that death, that they knew that that was not the end, because their faith was firmly in one who had defeated death. But Jesus also, notice, he says to go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Wait a minute. His disciples? You mean the ones who all abandoned him? The ones who denied him? Oh, Peter himself who denied Jesus? Go tell them that he's going to meet them? Those losers? Those guys who were unfaithful? Those guys who, who you couldn't trust and depend on? Jesus couldn't in his hour of need? Where were they? When he needed help, where were they? When he was suffering and dying, where were they? But Jesus, the, the announcement here from the, the angels that Jesus is going to meet them again. He wants to be with them again. We know from the story, we know from the gospel accounts that Peter met Jesus personally and that Jesus restored him. He commissioned him. He said, I'm not done with you, Peter. You have a job to do. You will feed my sheep. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, offers restoration. That in, the, in, the, in the form of forgiveness. I mean, that's why Jesus died, so that he would pay the price, the, the price for our sins, so that forgiveness was freely given by God himself. In his resurrection comes forgiveness, comes restoration. This is a, this is a very comforting word to us who have racked up a lifetime of sins, a lifetime of failures. Sometimes those things, they stick with us and we can't get past them. Our fear that they will catch up to us, our fear that we will stumble and fall in the same way again is overwhelming. But in the resurrection of Jesus, he offers restoration. He offers to forgive. He offers fellowship once again. That is, that is something to help us overcome our fear. And notice also what he said he will do. 
that he is going before you to Galilee. Jesus started his ministry saying, come, follow me. Follow after me. You, you will be my disciples. I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? He ends his ministry saying, we're going to gather back together. You're going to be my people again. You're going to be my followers and you're going to be my disciples again. He goes before us. Don't miss that. He's going before the disciples to where they're going to be. And he's doing that for us and he has done that for us. He is going before us. He has gone before us. He died before we have died. He rose before we will, we will experience the resurrection. Wherever he has gone, we, we can follow because he is there. There's no fear of the future. Do you see that? What, what's their life going to be like? What, what is, what's going to happen with the disciples when they, they decide to put feet to their faith and follow after him? When they act on what they have, what they have learned, what they have believed, what, what has been revealed to them. Do, do you know what's gonna, what they're going to face? They didn't know what they were going to face, except for Jesus did give them some clues. Suffering, persecution, um, being brought before the Sanhedrin, being brought before kings and governors and other people, testifying on my behalf. They had an idea of it. When would this happen? How would this go? How, how is it going to feel? I don't want to go through that pain. I don't want to go through that rejection. I don't want my family to abandon me and, and walk away. I don't want to be betrayed like you've been betrayed, Jesus. But because he's gone before us, there's no fear for his disciples. His followers can be faithful to him. And follow after him. That kind of, that kind of following after Jesus uh, has been the theme of God's followers, of God's people throughout the entire story of the Bible. The Israelites, they had to follow Jesus out of Egypt. Oh, happy days! We're no longer slaves. We're going to be. This is going to be great. But what's going to happen when we walk out of there and walk into the desert? What's going to happen when we come up to the Red Sea and look beyond it and go, how are we going to get... What's going to happen when we get into a place where we have no water, where we have no food? So God said, I will go before you in a cloud. A cloud of... A cloud by day. A pillar of cloud by day. A pillar of fire by night, I will go before you. I'm with you. And, and when Joshua was on the verge of the promised land, and he had all of, all of Israel with him, and they were to cross that Jordan River and go into the place that, that God had prepared for them, what was he going to experience? How was he going to get through that? He's, his knees are knocking together. Am I ready for this? What's going to happen? I mean, God says we're going to have this land, but how many of us are going to die in the process? How, how, how many failures or, or sufferings or, or how much pain are we going to go through to get there? And God says to him, I will be with you always. Do not be afraid. Do not be frightened. I go with you wherever you go. And then we see that in the book of Judges. Do you remember the, the, the hero, Gideon, who is hiding out in a pit on his family's property? A pit that they used to, to squash grapes into wine. And he's there with the wheat so that nobody can see, so the enemies can't see him threshing wheat in there, removing the grain from the chaff so that they don't see him and come and steal all of his family's grain. He's, his knees are knocking together as well and he's thinking, who am I? Who am I to be chosen by God to lead Israel to victory? I'm afraid. And God says, I'm going to do this. I've got this. Fear, 
fear prevents us from following Jesus wherever he's going. But we see that after the resurrection, after their restoration, after the forgiveness, after the fellowship is restored, the disciples go out and they speak the word boldly. Have you, you, have you seen that in, in the story of Acts? After they are arrested, after they're beaten, after they're released and told, do not speak in the name of Jesus, they go back and they, and they worship and they praise God together, thinking, God, thank you for that we were worthy to suffer for your sake. And they continue to speak the word with boldness. Because they knew Jesus was going before them. What did they have to fear? And finally, we come back to the women. Remember why they were there? To minister to Jesus, right? To minister to his corpse. Why would they do that? Because Jesus was going to see them do that and Maybe they had in their minds that God was going to see how faithful they were to this friend of theirs and how they were going to anoint his body and, and maybe pray over it. And, and God would see that and give him a gold star for the day. Because that's very important. Gold star for the day is very important. They're ministering, in their mind, they're ministering to a dead man. A pretty pointless thing to do to one who is risen from the dead. Maybe maybe we need to realize like I think the women that it's Jesus who is alive who is doing the ministry. Whereas so much of what we maybe attempt to do so many of our our attempts at ministering are really maybe self-serving. Maybe we're doing these things from a misguided um, perspective, or maybe we're just simply we, we we just simply think, well, this is all I am. This is all I have. This is all I can do. For Jesus, I'm inadequate for anything and everything else. But the reality is that he is alive and that he is ministering now. Every time we gather for worship, Jesus is ministering to us through the words, through the prayers, through the testimonies, through the songs that we sing. Jesus is doing the ministry. Every time you visit a friend, every time I do anything quote-unquote pastoral, I have to be reminded that it's Jesus who's doing the ministry here. I'm inadequate for this task. And sometimes that makes me very fearful. And I think we're never going to be where we're supposed to be as a church because I don't have the skills because I don't have the experience, because I don't have the discipline, or whatever it is. And I feel, and I, fa- I fail to recognize that it's Jesus who's alive. It's Jesus who's doing the ministry. Let's not be women coming to an empty tomb with our, with our spices and ointments, thinking we're going to do something impressive for Jesus. He's not there. He's alive. He's working. That's where we need to be. Go. They're told, go and tell. They were afraid. Fear was was a theme of the gospel of Mark. Everyone's afraid. Some of them are, are afraid because of what Jesus did. They're like, Oh my goodness, he did this, he did that. How, how could somebody do such things? And at other times, they're simply afraid of what is going to happen next. The fear of suffering, the fear of death. 
The fear of our past catching up to us or repeating itself. The fear of our future, the unknowing, the fear of our own failures or our own inadequacies uh, to, to do anything of lasting value. Faithful followers overcome fear. Following Jesus means the courage similar to Joseph of Arimathea, the courage to overcome fear and to do what Jesus is calling us to do. And not to contemplate it, not to think about it, not to peruse it, not to create charts of all of the things that are, we ought to do, but to actually do it. The, the courage not to, to go home and be amazed at what we saw, but the courage to go and obey what he is calling us to do. That, in a sense, is Mark's message about the, revel- about the resurrection. Will you go and do these things? I can imagine um, Mark as a scribe and he's writing this gospel down, and he has been following Peter around as Peter is, is sharing this message to the, the, the churches or the church in Rome. And, and he's sharing this message, and, and, he, and, and Peter comes to this point, and, and, and remember he inserts his own name into this story and says that the angel said to go tell his disciples and Peter, and, and he's saying that was me. That was me. And he ends the story with the women fleeing from the tomb. Fear overcoming them. Saying nothing to anyone. But yet, there's Peter standing there. Wait a minute. Peter's sharing this message. At some point, he got the story. He heard the message all right. But he ends his story that way. Why? Why? Do you realize he was talking to people? And I am, I am speaking to people who have never seen Jesus in person. Right? Have you ever, have you ever seen Jesus in, in person, in the flesh? He's, he's ascended to the right hand of God right now. Peter was preaching to people, and we only preach to people who have not seen the resurrected Lord. But they have the message. They have the revelation. They have the story. And and so Peter is is asking his his readers or his, his hearers, will you believe in this message? Will you follow him? Will you put your faith in this one who has done all of this? We saw him. We believe he restored us. And now I'm here living for him no matter what. Even if it means I'm here in Rome waiting to be put to death, to be crucified. Uh, not in the way my Lord was crucified. The, the, the story, the history tells us that he was crucified upside down. Because... He was not worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord was crucified. All of this is is hanging over this story. He's asking them to believe the message, to believe the promises that Jesus made, even though they cannot see him now. And here we are with the message of Jesus from this gospel, will we walk out of here as faithful followers? Or will we we do like some of the people did and maybe just follow at a distance? We're interested in what Jesus is is doing. We kind of want to know about it, but we don't want to be with him in it. Will we be held back from following Jesus because of of our past because of our failures, because of our sins. 
Will we shrink back from, from being with Jesus even, even though he's gone before us and, and there's no fear of, of what the future holds? We can accept that call. We can minister to that person. We can share that message knowing that Jesus is with us wherever we go. Will we be held back because we're inadequate? We're unskilled? We haven't learned enough? We, have, we only have a, a few simple things to offer? And surely that's not enough for the king. Will you see that he is alive and that he is, a, he is doing ministry now and that he wants it to do it through each of us? All of us, both collectively and individually. Maybe we can take a cue back from, from Joseph of Arimathea. Two things from him was expectation. He was looking for the kingdom of God. He knew God was working. And he expected God to do his thing to do a God thing. And he believed. He believed. He put his identity with Jesus over everything else. Even if that meant putting himself, putting his own position in jeopardy, his identity with Jesus trumped everything. Will we be the people who take courage Will we be the people who overcome fear? Will we be the faithful followers? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. And I thank you for uh, the fact that we have been able to be able to even have this gospel. To know you through it. To be challenged by the gospel that you have given us. God, I pray that you will make us faithful followers. God, you will give us courage when we feel afraid. That we will see that you are alive. That we will believe the message. That we will trust you for your sake, for your glory, for our joy in you here and now and in all the things, all of the things of life, as well as our eternal, lasting joy with you forever in the resurrection. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.